Menace to Sports is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity, like Progressive Home and Auto Policies. They're best when bundled, too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save over $775 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings is $779 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary, not available in all states. It is Tuesday, September 28th. Welcome to Minnesota Sports, episode 165. Huge, huge weekend of college football. Some big upsets that you knew were coming if you listen to this show. Because my gosh, has the analysis on Minnesota Sports in season three been, I don't know, second to none, that's for sure. But um, hope you guys are, are tailing some of these picks and uh, some of these predictions. Uh, Want to throw out there first, before we get started... Um, we are ho- hosting our tailgate again. We're hosting it for Maryland, October 9th, I think it is. Um, Braxton Miller, Menace of Sports, the point on lane right across the street from uh, Varsity Club. Going to have awesome food, awesome drinks. Uh, really, your bang for your buck is incredible. 50 bucks, and you get all-you-can-eat food, two drink tickets, a lot of fun. It is a great tailgate spot, but also, if you don't have tickets to the game, you come down and watch the game with us. So it's a watch party also. Be down there 10 a.m. till game end at like 4, probably 4.30 we usually hang out for a little bit afterwards also until the crowd dies down. So come hang out with us all over my social media, Braxton's. Also on Eventbrite, if you just search uh, Menace of Sports or Charging with a one as an I, come hang out with us. So let's talk about, just a recap, four weeks in, the games that we have broken down on this show. Week one, we called Iowa beating Indiana. Now, some of these, in hindsight, don't sound as good. But going into the year, people thought Indiana was going to be a good team. So we called it. Called our shot. Iowa beats Indiana. Georgia was going to beat Clemson. Penn State beats Wisconsin. We called for a Florida State upset over Notre Dame, which was kind of in jest. We thought it would be a lot closer game than people thought, and I thought Florida State might be able to pull it off, and they would have without coaching errors by Mike Norvell and his staff at the end of the game. But uh, So that was a ridiculous first week. Week two, we told you Iowa would beat Iowa State. We also said Ohio State would beat Oregon, so we missed that one. Week three, we had a clean sweep. Florida was co- would cover versus Alabama. It would be a close game. Michigan State would beat Miami. Cincinnati would beat Indiana. Penn State would beat Auburn. Four for four on the show. And then week four was bonkers. Rutgers covers versus Michigan. We told you about that. And we told you, I demanded that you take the Arkansas-NC State upset parlay over A&M and Clemson to the tune of plus 400. And if you took it, you cashed out. So make sure you tweeted us if you took it. And then obviously lost the Wisconsin upset. I don't know if you want to call it an upset. We called Wisconsin to beat Notre Dame. We're going to talk about that and why it didn't happen. Let's break that down and analyze it. Because, God, Graham Mertz played absolutely the most horrific game that I've seen a quarterback play in I don't know how long. Especially, let's talk about the fourth quarter. I mean, he didn't play terrible for three quarters, but that fourth quarter was brutal. A um, couple things to get to before we get to the show. First, make sure you check out Menace to Picks on an absolute, I mean, n- going nuclear right now. Nuclear. For 25 bucks a month, you get all the handicapping bets. Help yourself out with your with your gambling. Uh, Menace to Picks. Patreon.com forward slash Menace to Picks. Also on all 
I guess, gambling platforms. But I want to talk to you about something else that is somewhat gambling, but more investing and sports related. It's called Prediction Strike. And I told you about it last episode and I'm already on it and it is badass. So essentially what you do is it's like a sports stock market where you can buy and sell shares of your favorite athletes, build a portfolio. It's, you build your own mutual fund based on athletic success, essentially. Um, it, the, some of these players that, that you can get right now, and I, so I'll tell you a couple guys I picked up. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is $2.32 per share of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And so he is down from last year because he struggled a little bit. I think he's going to bounce back. That offense is going to get in sync. So I took him. Jamar Chase, seven eighty a share. He's going to explode. He's going to have a great career. J.K. Dobbins, because of the injury. Now, this you won't receive return on investment this year, but he's five twenty a share. It's really cool, man. You go on, like last year, I think I talked about it, Jonathan Taylor was two fifteen a share in mid November and ended the season at six fifteen a share. So that's one hundred eighty six percent on your your investment. It is cool as hell. You got to go check it out. Um, it's really fun. I, I'm already having fun with it. I've only been doing it for two weeks now, and I told you about it last week. So get started today by downloading Prediction Strike's new app in the App Store or by visiting PredictionStrike.com. Sign up with my promo code Menace to receive a free share of an athlete when you deposit twenty dollars or more. Just go to PredictionStrike.com and use code Menace and come play with us, man. It is a blast. So uh, check that out for sure. I want you to, I mean, telling you, you're going to have a blast with it. It's awesome. But um, anyways, enough about that. Let's get to the show. Watches downfield. It's Olave. He's got a touchdown. Ohio State. Why am I talking to you? You're not even in football. Yeah. Did you even play to the high school level? You took journalism. It's a bunch of nerds interrupting people who know what they're doing. <laughs> Goes to the corner, dies in the corner. He didn't get there. No, they say he did. And Indiana wins. The commissioner could literally punt a baby with his wingtips on. I'm still going to watch on Sunday. Looking for the deep ball. Touchdown, Ohio State. Garrett Olsen. I don't condone the man's actions, <laughs> but it's football. I have to watch it. This is all I have. Down, it's Brees Hall. He doesn't go down. He might go all the way. He stays on his feet again and scores. I wasn't going to hit a woman, but then that guy in the Ravens did it, so I guess it's okay. All right, welcome to episode, what did I say, 165? 165 episodes, wild. Um, I want to start off, first of all, I think I might need to switch up the intro music. Shoot me a message if you think we need a new intro song or, or audio clips. It's, it's getting a little stale for me. I don't get as jacked up as I used to, so shoot me a message. But let's talk about a couple things that went on in college football. Starting with a guy that I recruited, linebacker for the Buckeyes, Kayvon Pope, walks off the field mid-game. So what, what is uh, Austin Ward reported, I didn't see it live. He tried to sub in the game. Taraja Mitchell waved him off. He went back off the field, had some exchanged words with Al Washington, left the field, came back, some more exchanges, left, took his jersey off, threw his gloves in the stands, left the field, tweeted out, fuck Ohio State, good luck to my teammates, all this other shit, and not surprisingly, was kicked off the team, uh, this morning, basically, or Monday morning, yesterday. Oh my gosh, so much to unpack. First of all, let me speak to the character of Kayvon Pope. He's a great kid. You know, sometimes you have a kid that's kind of a shit bird, just kind of a, 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 
a shit bag or, you know, maybe not a shit bag, but just kind of a, an asshole that you could see this coming from. I would have never predicted this kid would do something like this ever. So that's just first and foremost. I want to talk to, talk to the, speak to the character of the kid. He's a good kid. This is obviously a mistake he made in a heated moment. Uh, everyone's allowed to make mistakes. He's going to have to obviously, um, pay for his mistakes, right? He is quote unquote off the team. i He's, but he's going to remain on campus and use Sasso. So what that tells you is, is he's either going to try to keep his grades right to transfer or to reemerge back on the team once he's paid his penance, right? That's what is going on. So that's the kid, right? Big mistake made, came out with a statement. He apologized, all that, all that nonsense. He's a kid. It happens, right? We can forgive him, move on. Here's my question and what I, where I want to weigh in. I have never and could never imagine in my 15-year career that happening to me in my position group, ever. Because let's let's just pretend for a fact that my players didn't respect me as a coach. They would have never done that because they respect their teammates and the culture of their position group so much that they wouldn't do that in the middle of a game. In a coach's office, one-on-one, maybe. In the locker room, bitch, maybe. All that, maybe. But on live TV, on the sideline, never, never. And that's even assuming that they didn't respect me. So this speaks to a major, major fractured unit in the linebacker core. And not as if that wasn't evident, right? The way they're playing on the field, the way they're rotating guys, the lack of development. There's a major issue in the linebacker room. And it is evident on the field. It's like Urban Meyer used to say all the time. When one thing in your life isn't right, everything else isn't right, right? You can always tell a kid that's going to be successful in football because all of a sudden his academics are on point, his personal life's on point, he's bright-eyed in the morning, not tired, shows up with energy. All of a sudden the things start to click and everything starts to work and football takes care of itself. That's what's not happening in the linebacker room at any, at any player, any position. I don't care who it is. EA can't get on the field yet because he's not hadn't learned offense. Taraja doesn't trigger probably as fast as you'd like him to, right? Cody Simon looks lost in pass coverage. I mean, we can go down the list. I've talked about it every episode. There's a major issue in that linebacker room, and there's one person that needs held accountable. It's Al Washington. Simple as that. I like Al. I think he's a good football coach, but there's major issues in his room. And this instance, this, this incident with Kayvon Pope exemplified what is going on in that unit room, right? Urban, actually, Steve Adazio, Buckeye fans might not know, know this, but Steve Adazio is the one that came up with the power of the unit model that Urban adopted at Florida and carried on to Ohio State, right? It's that your unit, small group cohesion, right? It's a military model. Small groups can move mountains when, when, you know, when they're accountable to each other. You build a culture amongst 10 guys, eight guys, whatever it is. You can really become a great football team if you are, you know, nine or 10 strong of small units. And when one unit is not right, the whole team suffers. And that unit right now is the linebacker room. And it is on the position coach to be the CEO of that unit. This falls solely at the feet of Al Washington. I don't know what he told that kid, why that kid thought he should play more. I don't know what the dynamic was there, but it was a coaching failure, not only with Kayvon, but a coaching failure with that group. On the other side of this spectrum, viral clip, Mario Cristobal just chewing the ass out of one of his DBs that got an interception. And that kid 
was locked into his eyes the whole time, took the ass ripping, said yes, sir, and they moved on. That's hard coaching. It takes a great leader to be able to coach kids hard. Watch out for Oregon this year. That told you a lot about that program and the level of respect that the players have for Mario Cristobal and for the culture of the team. Like polar opposites. One kid is popping off as a coach. One linebacker is waving the other one off. I mean, why Taraja has the ability to wave off a substitution is beyond me. If I threw a receiver in and a receiver on the field waved him off, I would. I don't know what I would do. I would lose my mind. And Urban might fire me because how is a player making that decision? I don't care if they're a captain. I don't care if they're 40 years old. I don't care if they've won a Super Bowl. The coach's job is to run the position group. When he subs a guy on, you don't wave him off. You take your ass off the field. And if you want to know why you got taken off, you ask him. But you don't wave him off. This isn't a pitcher and a catcher. You don't shake off the curveball. The fucking coach says throw a curveball. You run your ass to the fucking mound and throw a curveball. I don't know what. This is This is sports, right? This is a team sport. That's how it has to work. So major issues at Ohio State in the linebacker room. I, and I don't, never mind this incident. We're seeing it in every facet of that, of that room, that group. It's amazing how you can go from the Tennessee coordinator job to maybe people were talking about demote carry and promote Al to be the coordinator and just how, how coaching reputations work, right? Like Tim Beck was awful as a coordinator, right? Awful. Well, guess what? Tim Beck just beat the fuck out of Clemson. So let's, let's relax on that narrative also, right? And Marcus Freeman is the a defensive guru, goes to Notre Dame, their defense is average as shit. So let's just hold off on the, the media narratives around some coaches because, hate to break it to you, they're not always accurate, and a lot of times they're dramatic. So wanted to throw that out there. Before we get to the weekend's games, I just want to drop my top 14 quick thoughts. First of all, Clemson, I, I've seen both. They dropped to number 25 or out of the top 25. Either way, Clemson is on a, a major downfall. The only good news for them is the ACC is so bad that even this awful year won't look as bad as it is. I mean, they're sitting at 2-2 two and two right now, upset loss to NC State, and they still got to play Boston College. I mean, it, there's a chance they might not even be in the ACC championship game. You imagine that? Clemson not playing for their conference title and their conference is fucking dog shit. Can you imagine? So starting off, number one, Bama, number one team in the country. Obviously, I have my doubts, right? I have my doubts. Bryce Young has, has is not really being tested as a quarterback, but he will get tested. He's got some teams coming down the stretch here that are, whoo, they're going to test him. If nothing else, they're going to test him. The Bama defense, the rush defense is not very good. It's not the typical Nick Saban defense. Um, then you go to number two, Georgia. And I'm telling you, if Georgia can find a way to muster up some offensive firepower, they might be the best team in the country. I mean, you look at these teams and Georgia, Oregon, maybe Penn State. I mean, those are the three right now that I say, all right, they got a shot to be the best team in the country. Think about that, though. Georgia, Oregon, Penn State. Neither of those three have won a national championship and I don't know how long. I mean, at least Oregon was there in 2014, but... Georgia's defense is just nasty. Absolutely nasty. They're big. They're long. They're athletic. They can run. They're aggressive, smothering. You talk about Ohio State's defense not triggering. Georgia's defense triggers like crazy. Averaging 5.8 points per game, just absolutely smothering people. And uh, their big test this week with Arkansas coming to town. Oregon, number three. I really like what's going on there. I don't know how they lose a game. I mean, their schedule remaining. I mean, the Pac-12 is not very good. Oregon, I look at them to run the table and make the playoffs for sure. Number four, Penn State. A lot to wonder about Penn State. They can't really run the ball. Sean Clifford's been average, but their defense has been fucking lights out. I mean, just best defense in the Big Ten. And, I mean, there's three solid defenses in the Big Ten. Penn State, Wisconsin, Iowa are just 
smothering people right now. So Penn State riding a hot defense. Uh, obviously need Sean Clifford to I don't perform better. Need the run game to get going. Their offensive line is pretty average. So I think they're a little overrated at four, but they are the the prize pony in the Big Ten as of today. Number five, Arkansas. Probably my favorite team playing football right now. Other than the fact that Mike Sliven, the SEC, just absolutely fucking slaughtered them with a schedule. I mean, their next two games are at Georgia, at Ole Miss. Then they have to go at Bama in at the end of November. And they're only, I guess, I don't even want to call it a home game. They played A&M, not at A&M, but it was a neutral site. Like, Arkansas can't get a home game against a decent opponent to save their life. They have to go at UGA, at Ole Miss, back-to-back, at Bama at the end of November. I don't see how they survive this schedule. Honestly, if they're going to lose one of the three, best case scenarios, they lose this week to Georgia, pull off the win at Ole Miss, and just, I mean, do whatever they can to win that game at Bama on November 20th, and then they have no losses in the SEC West, and they go to the SEC Championship game with one loss to Georgia, probably have to play them again, um, I would imagine, and have a chance to avenge that loss and make the playoffs. But Arkansas, what Sam Pittman's doing, wow, unbelievable. Really, really, really good. I mean, just great, tough football. He's a You could tell he's a tough guy, too. So really fired up to see them up in the top five. Iowa at six. I mean, it's a facade. Their defense is legit. 13th best rushing attack in the Big Ten. 12th best passing attack in the Big Ten. They can't score a point. I mean, they're fucking ter- They're awful on offense. So Iowa is a little bit of a facade at six, but their defense is the real deal. Cincinnati, honestly, if there was a year to make the playoffs, Cincinnati at number seven. They have the second best defense behind Georgia in the country. A much better offense than Iowa or Penn State. I mean, if they can pull off this win against Notre Dame this weekend, watch out. Cincinnati might be dancing in the playoffs. Number eight, Notre Dame. I mean, I think everyone knows my opinion, right? Their defense is is pretty solid. Their secondary is really good. Their offense is not very good at all. Um, Their offensive line is terrible. They have no run game. I mean, Wisconsin handed them the game in the fourth quarter. Otherwise, that would have been a much different ball game. Now, to to their credit, they made some plays on defense. So I think Notre Dame, here's the sad part. If they find a way to beat Cincinnati, I don't know how they lose a game. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, Oklahoma at nine is... I mean, the problem is, who else are you putting? I, I would put Ole Miss over all these teams, just so we're clear. I mean, they, they would be over Notre Dame and Oklahoma for sure. Oklahoma now has struggled against Tulane, Nebraska, and West Virginia. I mean, three average to below average teams. West Virginia is decent after a win of Virginia Tech, but Florida at 10 can't throw the ball, can't win at all. That's the way I see it. I mean, their defense is decent. Their rushing attack is, is I mean, second to none, really. What, what Dan Mullen and that offense did, and John Hevesy in the offensive line to Alabama, I mean, we haven't seen anything like that, like I said, since the 2014 game against Ohio State. Uh, 11 Ole Miss. I mean, they beat Louisville by 20, 19 points. They beat Austin P. They beat Tulane by 40, who Oklahoma struggled with. So Ole Miss looks like an offensive firepower. We'll see once they play some real teams. I mean, what are we talking about? Louisville is their, is their uh, big win right now. Obviously, the Buckeyes at 12. A lot of question marks on defense for the Buckeyes and at quarterback to play at a playoff, you know, a CFP level. Michigan at 13, I think that's another phony. Their offense, you know, they played nobody, and then they struggled with Rutgers in the second half. Uh, Michigan State is the most intriguing team in college football. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but what Mel Tucker's doing in East Lansing is impressive. 4-0 Michigan State. Got to feel good about that. Got to feel good about the Big Ten, right? You got Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, Penn State. I mean, you got five teams in the top 14. Just got to finish the season, man. Got to finish the season. Speaking of Big Ten teams... (laughs) How about the Golden Gophers of Minnesota? 
I Ziggy Zumba motherfucker Bowling Green rolls into town Scott Leffler comes in and beats PJ Fleck that that first week win for the Buckeyes is not looking as good and Bowling Green I mean mm, I don't know they they averaged 0.9 yards per carry it's not like they went out and beat Minnesota it was an ugly game stat watchers people that you know, look at stats and think they can predict the game. We'll say that turnovers killed Minnesota, but Bowling Green had two uh, turnovers also, and they were up 14-10 with two minutes left when Tanner Morgan threw two consecutive interceptions to end the game. So the two interceptions killed the chance of a comeback win, but they didn't, they aren't why Minnesota lost. Minnesota lost because they're not a very good team. And Bowling Green tapped that ass. That's just the reality of what happened. And how about after the, the coaches went back and forth, Boston College beats Mizzou in overtime, 41-34. Uh, Aliyah Drinkowitz, the head coach at Missouri, who I don't fucking have any clue who that guy is. But he was complaining about playing in Boston, having to go to Boston. They don't recruit kids from the state of Massachusetts. And all this complaining and complaining and complaining. Jeff Halfley was like all, you know, responded in, in his interview the next day. Like, listen, if you didn't want to come up here, you could have called me. We'd have flown, you know, jumped on a plane and flown our ass down to Missouri. We'll play anywhere. And it just made me think coaches are idiots sometimes. And Jeff Halfley's not. This Aliyah Drinkowitz is a fucking idiot because teams feed off of the coach's energy. You start popping off with stupid shit like that in the media, your team is, they're personifying your your message, your, your program, like how you, you know, your, your kind of your message, what you're saying, how you're operating. And this guy's complaining about going to Boston and they go get beat. Whereas Jeff Hathley's like, fuck it. Where do you want to play? I'll play anywhere. Let's go play. And guess what? They will. They'll go play anywhere. I, I love Jeff Hathley. And I think this is his year. What if he wins an ACC championship game or ACC championship this year? He'll be the hottest name in college football. And I think he's going to do it. I think they got a chance to win the ACC and Jeff Halfley will pick his job. Anywhere in the country he wants to go, he'll be able to pick it. But coach is just, man, watch what you say, man. Watch what you say because your team is always listening. Always listening. In another, I guess, upset, the team that I was not hot on and and I, I talked about preseason polls are such horse shit because Iowa State was at like four or something to start the year. Now they're sitting... Two and two, and they are complete utter horseshit. This is probably minimally a five-loss team. I mean, they lose to Baylor 31-29. They already have two losses. The under on that season total was a damn near lock of the millennium. So rough, rough time to be a Cyclone and a rough time to be ESPN or any of these other people that put out preseason rankings. So um, I want to get to the Big Ten slate and kind of the main games of the weekend. Talk a little bit about the Buc- Buckeyes, what we learned, and you know, really can't learn much from Akron, but what I see from the Buckeyes right now. Uh, but first, a quick word from my bookie. If you go check them out, uh, go log on, use our promo code Menace, sign up with my bookie, and then sign up on Patreon. I'm telling you, it all works together, and you can just start crushing it. Uh, but a quick word from my bookie. The NFL is back in action, and so is winning season at MyBookie. With over $500,000 in contest prize money, winning season makes the big games better and the victories even sweeter. Head to MyBookie.ag and choose from a variety of boosts, contests, and promotions up for grabs, highlighted by the crown jewel of winning season, the famed MyBookie Super Contest. It only costs $10 to enter. Pick five games against the spread each week, 
Each win earns you a point, and each point gets you closer to the grand prize. If you missed out on week one, don't even sweat it, because entries are still open, and all it takes is one solid week to get you back in the mix. Don't just take my word for it. Join now and start your winning season with MyBookie today. In order to get you started, make your first deposit at MyBookie.ag and use our promo code. Menace, M-E-N-A-C-E, to instantly receive double your deposit. That's double your money to double your winnings with your first ever deposit using promo code Menace. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right, check out my bookie, and uh, they support us, so we appreciate you supporting them. Uh, real quick, this just came across my desk. This is we have opened Pandora's fucking box. This is about to be the wildest era of college football ever the number one ranked 2022 wide receiver ever evan stewart is deciding to forego the rest of his senior year to prepare for college football what have we started i mean it's like sitting out of bowl games now where kids can opt out of the rest of their senior year to get ready for college football insane absolutely insane the world will never be the same college football is i mean god what did we do man Oh, wild times. I'm, I'm just telling you, if a kid does that, I'm going to really, really think long and hard about recruiting him. I am, if I'm a college coach. But anyways, wanted to throw that in there in case you hadn't heard. Uh, but how about Michigan State? The freaking Spartans, Mel Tucker, 4-0, and start the year off undefeated, as they get into kind of Big Ten play, they survive Nebraska 23-20 uh, to on Saturday. This kid, Kenneth Walker III, is the real deal. Probably, I mean, him and Travion Henderson, there's, there's a couple good backs in the, in the Big Ten, but him and Travion look the most explosive to me, the most dynamic and talk about game-changing running backs. Uh, he's forced 40 missed tackles in the run game alone this year. That leads Power 5 football. 59% of his yards are on breakaway runs, so that's runs over 15 yards. He has 11 runs over 15 yards. In four games. That is number one in power five football and absolutely ridiculous. So Michigan State is a force to be reckoned with. And actually, because they're so strong, that's why we we moved our tailgate from the Akron game to the Michigan State game because that one's got a chance to be a, a really, really good game. So we're going to tailgate for that game also. Maryland, Penn State, and that. Links in the bios if you need them. Uh, but let's talk about the Oklahoma Sooners survive West Virginia 16 to 13 on a last second field goal. And I watched this game and studied it. Spencer Rattler. Um, wow. I, I thought this guy was supposed to be all everything, right? Everyone told me all off season. He was the Heisman, like hopeful front runner, the number one overall pick lock. And we cut on the game and boomer sooner is chanting for backup quarterback, Caleb Williams. I just want what, what happened? Like the level of savagery, in Sooner Nation is unbelievable. Before the year, Sooner fans would tell you this kid was going to win the Heisman, be the next Kyler Murray or whoever, pick a, pick a quarterback, Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, and then middle of the game, he throws a pick, and they're chanting for his backup. The crowd is. Whew. But I'll tell you this much, much different story for Lincoln Riley as their offense is struggling, and their defense looks really, really good. I mean, two yards per carry on the ground for this Lincoln-Riley offense, 5 of 13 on third down, 38%. And Spencer Rattler is just, 
man, he's got a he's he's got a lot of figuring out to do. He was 0 for 4 on deep balls, only completed 50% of his passes over 10 yards, 50% under pressure. And let me tell you something. You watch this game, West Virginia just said, fuck it. We are gonna roll and get after this fucking kid. I mean, every play they blitzed. Every play. I think there was 41 drop back passes, 37 of them, 37 of them they blitzed. 37 of 41 dropback passes were blitz. And Spencer Rattler was shook big time. Now, I will tell you this. If you watch the end of that game, he responded. That final drive, he was 6-for-6, six six, driving to a last-second tie-breaking field goal for the win. So he, he finished strong against an average opponent. So Oklahoma, I'm telling you, watch out now. Upset alert, Oklahoma Sooners. The defense, though, you talk about a job. Alex Grinch has done at Oklahoma they don't even look like the same, I mean, program defensively. I mean, they allow West Virginia to run for 2.3 yards per carry. They only had four missed tackles. If you think about it, two years ago when I talked about Oklahoma, they were averaging like 14 missed tackles a game. What Alex Grinch has done fundamentally for this defense, coaching, developing, unbelievable. They were 29% on third down. This defense might be the best defense in the Big 12. And who would have thought, I mean, it's Freaky Friday, spooky season, whatever you want to call it. Lincoln Riley's program is playing great defense, but their offense is struggling. I've never heard that in, in, in the Big 12, really, period, let alone from Lincoln Riley. So watch out for Oklahoma to drop one coming up soon. Um, but I wanted to mention that because, I mean, obviously, what do they what did I say? They're fourth in the country? Come on, man. Ain't no fourth in the country. But let's talk about Ohio State versus Akron. Not just Ohio State versus Akron. The state of the Buckeyes. We got to see Kyle McCord and Jack Miller. For the you know they finally got to get in a game. We got to see what everyone's been calling for. Bench C.J. Stroud. We want Kyle McCord. Next it'll be Quinn Ewers. Right? It's always the grass is greener. I will say this: relax on the stat line from Kyle McCord because he threw for two touchdown passes. One was a push sweep, so it's like a handoff, but it counts as a pass. And the other was his deep ball touchdown to Jackson Smith and Jigba, and it was a bad throw. He missed inside against a better team. That's picked off or, inter- or in- incomplete. And uh, Jackson just made a great play on the ball. Um, he was two for five on deep balls, that being one of the two. Three for three from 10 to 20, or 20 yards. He didn't do much. You didn't see much. And that's the moral of this story. Akron was so bad that you didn't get to see much at all. Jack Miller looked decent. I mean, you didn't really learn shit. Akron is absolutely awful. And it was nice. But here's what it was. That game was nice to get those young guys in to pop their cherries, get them that first experience in front of a crowd because, God forbid, they got to go in the game against Penn State. You don't want that to be your first time, right? A lot like we talked about C.J. Stroud. You don't want your rookie quarterback's first pass to be on the road in a Big Ten game. That's a nightmare waiting to happen. So at least they got in the game. They got to throw the ball a little bit, learn, experience, kind of playing, that's the one good news. Uh, now, I will talk about the offense. Uh, let's talk about some positives on offense. One, and I don't care. Everyone will talk about Travion Henderson. Everyone will talk about, you know, zone six. The most positive thing going for this offense right now is Dewan Jones is an absolute man-child. Tra- so listen, to the, here's some analytics behind it. <clears throat> Travion Henderson has 264 of his 432 rushing yards right behind this behemoth of a man, Dewan Jones. He's averaging 15.5 yards per carry when he's off tackle to the right. 436 of all 944 rushing yards 
have come behind Dewan Jones, not just to the right side, but over the right tackle or outside to the right, where he is the main point of attack, attack blocker. Comparatively, 171 yards have been to the left behind Nick Petit Friere. So, absolute man-child at right tackle right now in Dewan Jones. Stupid. And then, obviously, another positive for the offense is Travion Henderson's emergence. 9.6 yards per carry, six touchdowns. He's had five in the last two games since taking over the starting role. That is going to be, I mean, watching his growth this year is going to be, a, a, you know, just awesome to watch. And then you throw in the two-punch of Mayan Williams, and it's, it, they, they got a great rushing attack with the offensive line and those two backs. What we need to see, here's the biggest thing we need to see. We need to see C.J. Stroud be an athlete. Scramble around a little bit. Prolong a play. Scramble for some yards. I just think back to some of the great quarterback plays we've watched that have won championships. Justin Fields, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, Trevor Lawrence against Ohio State beat, beat Ohio State single-handedly running the ball. You can't tell me Stroud's not as good an athlete as Trevor Lawrence. Come on. Ohio State has 25 total yards through four games on QB scrambles. 25. And Stroud's not a bad athlete. So that's what I need to see more. And then obviously we need to see him hit hit wide open throws. We need to see the drops eliminate from zone six. And we need to see the tight ends get involved. We need to see Jeremy Ruckert become a piece of the pie. And we'd love to see Travion Henderson on some perimeter runs outside, not just stretch run plays where he goes inside the tackle, like that off tackle play I'm talking about. We'd love to see him out in space, man, like that swing pass. The one time they did it, he house called it. Now on defense, Man, I mean, we already talked about my, you know, my issue with the linebacker core, but the linebackers are, I watch them play. They're really talented, really talented. They're just wildly underdeveloped and they got issues. They got issues right now. I don't, I don't know what else to say. We're not playing guys that, that show flashes of being, you know, dynamic like EA. It is one where he, you put him in and that kid explodes and makes a play. I mean, Craig Young has just looks different. Steel Chambers just looks different. Um, and Taraja Mitchell looks like he's holding back a little bit. But anyways, let's talk about the positives. Let's not be, you know, Nancy negative over here. Here's the positives that we've learned through four games. There's three elite cover defenders for the Buckeyes and Denzel Burke, Cam Martinez, and Cameron Brown. They are playing at a very high level. That Ronnie Hickman is this bullet, box safety, whatever you want to call it, has been, I mean, he's really growing into that role and he is becoming a really good player. He looked hesitant the first week, but since then, every week he gets better and better. So those are the positives that I see. Here, here's what they need to figure out. Still got to figure out pressure in the quarterback. Whether it's pass rush, blitzes, sub packages, doesn't matter. They got to figure that out. They got to get the D-line healthy. Tyreek Johnson, uh, Christ Johnson. Tyreek Smith, not Larry Johnson. Tyreek Smith, Javante, Gene Baptiste, Zach Harrison, Teron Vincent, all got to get healthy so this D-line can really be at least at full strength. And then we got to let them get after the quarterback. So we got to get after the quarterback by hook or by crook one way or another. That still has to happen. You're going to have to put pressure on Sean Clifford. He's not a great player, but if you give him all day, he's going to beat you. So we got to figure that out. Obviously Rutgers this weekend will be a, you know, that next step test. They're better than Akron. They're better than, uh, Tulsa, they're better than some of these other teams that Ohio State, or not Oregon, but they're better than Minnesota. They'll be the second best team Ohio State's played to date. And then the biggest issue, we, we, we keep talking about it, they have to fix the train wreck at linebacker. They got to play EA. Somebody has to get his ass ready, teach him the defense, get him to do his job, and then he will flourish. Between him and Taraja in the middle, that should be dynamic. 
You put Cody Simon in some better positions, maybe game plan wise or positionally to succeed. He looks lost in pass coverage at times. You do, you you put him in an advantageous position. Now you got three interior linebackers that can really play. Figure out a way to get Steel Chambers on the field. This kid is explosive. He he flashes, but you can tell it's he's new to the position. They got to accelerate that curve, and then they have to find a way to get Craig Young on the field. This kid is a long, explosive athlete, and he just he shows up on film. When he's in the game, you go, oh, shit, was that Craig Young? He's in the game. Like You notice him. You feel him. Those are the things that I think need to get addressed. This Buckeye team is on the brink of an average season or fixing a couple of these things and pushing forward, maybe sneak a win against the Penn State and finding themselves in the mix at the end of the year to make a run at something. Are they going to win the national championship? I absolutely do not think so. But they could find themselves in the mix for a Big Ten championship, find themselves in the mix for a playoff berth. That's what I, That's how I see it. That's how I see the Buckeyes. We didn't learn much against Akron except that they did what they, they should do. All right, I saved it for last because it's the game I did not predict correctly, but to my credit, what the fuck, Graham Mertz? Wisconsin-Notre Dame. Notre Dame gets a big win, and their defense is actually looking, I mean, they look really good. But this game was 13-10. to Wisconsin was up in the fourth quarter. 13-10. to And then they give up a kickoff return for a touchdown, two pick sixes. I mean, it was like the fourth quarter, they just, they just, I feel like they bet on the fucking game. I really do. The, uh, the kid Cam Hart from uh, from Notre Dame absolutely exposed the lack of skill the Badgers have at receiver. I mean, he had, what, I think he was targeted seven times, zero catches, two interceptions. He caused a third interception on a PBU. He played outstanding. Wisconsin's receivers just suck. That just is what it is. Their offense isn't very good. Their defense is fucking phenomenal. But... Notre Dame's defense was dominant too. Wisconsin's offense was just grotesque. Notre Dame, how about this? Here's a stat for you. Notre Dame had three missed tackles. Now, I know that that means that they're doing a great job on defense, teaching tackling and practicing tackling, but that also tells you that Wisconsin is the least explosive and dynamic offense in the top 20. I mean, just awful. Three missed tackles for an entire game? I think the storyline here was the two Wisconsin quarterbacks, one for Notre Dame, one for Wisconsin, Jack Cohn versus Graham Mertz. Honestly, neither played very well, and neither really is very good. Jack Cohn was one for five on deep balls. He had the 36-yard touchdown. He only threw 11 passes over 10 yards to the tick of 36%. He was pressured 11 times, didn't complete a ball. 25% completions on play action, so they're still not utilizing play action to get guys open for him. He didn't win the game. This is Notre Dame defense won the game. Graham Mertz, though, buddy, I'm going to tell you what. You need to do some soul searching. Four interceptions. Three of those were against base coverage, not under pressure, not blitzed, base coverage. He he completed 21% of his passes under pressure, one for four on deep balls. He was only 43% over 10 yards. So he, he handed the ball through the air four times, and he fumbled on a strip sack. Granted, that's partly the offensive line's fault, but have two hands on a ball, have front hand pressure. Don't let them strip sack you. I mean, it was just like, you watch the fourth quarter, and you're like, what the? This kid is just handing them the game. Wisconsin's defense is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, outstanding. 0.3 yards per carry. That's what Notre Dame's vaunted rushing attack had. I told you they might have zero yards rushing. 0.3 yards per carry. I don't know if anyone has ever won a big-time matchup 
like this with 0.3 yards per carry. I mean, it's just not how you win. I mean, Notre Dame's not going to win at all. I don't. Can you bet on that prop? Just, I mean, brutal. Five of 16 on third down, so 31%. Really outstanding defensive performance. This, this, fall, this solely falls on how awful Wisconsin is on offense. Wisconsin on offense was one of 15 on third and fourth down. Holy fuck, that might be the worst I've ever heard of. One for 15 on third and fourth down. One of 14 on third down. Wisconsin still could have won despite being so disgusting on offense. They kick a field goal to go up 13-10 in the fourth. Then Notre Dame returns the ensuing kickoff. Graham Mertz gets strip-sacked. Notre Dame scores another touchdown. Now it's 24-13, and Wisconsin can't finish the drive. They miss a field goal. Then they stop Notre Dame, and then the Mertz effect. He threw three straight interceptions, the last two for touchdowns. Three straight interceptions, two pick sixes. That's the fucking game we, that I get wrong. Graham Mertz. Killed my entire momentum. Unbelievable. And now Michigan's coming to Camp Randall this week. I I don't know about Wisconsin. Michigan's coming to Camp Randall. They still have Iowa at home. Critical to beat Michigan. Otherwise, think about this now. After losing that game, right? Or after well, after losing to Penn State, if they lose to Michigan, then that Iowa game doesn't have as strong of uh ramifications. Because they could lose, they could beat Iowa, and Iowa still only has one Big Ten loss and would go, assuming Purdue or someone doesn't sneak in a back door somehow. I mean, this is a two-team race in the West, if you ask me, and it's Minnesota, Iowa. I mean, Wisconsin, Iowa. And if Wisconsin doesn't beat Michigan, Iowa is, I mean, odds-on favorites to go to Indianapolis. Honestly, I mean, they got to beat Michigan, and it's at home, so they. Sh- I-, I would imagine they'll be able to. For Notre Dame, you look at their schedule, man. Cincinnati coming to South Bend this weekend. That's their game. This is their Super Bowl. If they beat Cincinnati, they have to go at Virginia Tech, which won't be easy, but that's very winnable. Then they get a bye week. Then they go USC at home. They stink. North Carolina at home. They stink. Navy at home. They stink. At Virginia, they stink. Georgia Tech at home. I guess above average. They've played Clemson strong. They're decent. Then they got to go at Stanford. They might go fucking 12-0. And it's disgusting. They're deplorable on offense and have been gifted three wins. A bad Florida State via coaching errors at the end. Toledo via ref help. And then, I guess this one wasn't a gift, but Wisconsin basically just handed them a game because Graham Mertz put a stack on Notre Dame to cover. I don't know how else you can explain it. I mean, that, that fourth quarter is the worst quarter of football I've seen by a player, a quarterback ever. And I'm, you guys might remember a different one, but that was awful. Awful. So, big blow for the Wisconsin Badgers. Really big win for Notre Dame. I did not see them hitting that one. Um, so, we'll, we'll get to the analysis and breakdown of that Cincinnati game and some of the – what great games there are this weekend. Arkansas at Georgia. It's going to be a huge game. Cincinnati at Notre Dame. I mean, some huge, huge football games that we're excited to break down for you uh, on Thursday. So, make sure you come back, tune back in, check it out, get our picks because they have been killing it. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you're entertained. Hope you learned something. And if not, as we say, go fuck yourself, San Diego. Watches downfield. It's Olave. He's got a touchdown. Ohio State. Why am I talking to you? You're not even in football. Yeah. Did you even play to the high school level? You took journalism. It's a bunch of nerds interrupting people who know what they're doing. <laughs> it goes to the corner, dies to the corner. 
He didn't get there. No, they say he did. And Indiana wins. The commissioner could literally punt a baby with his wingtips on. I'm still going to watch on Sunday. Looking for the deep ball. Touchdown, Ohio State. Garrett Wilson. I don't condone the man's actions, but it's football. I have to watch it. This is all I have. On first down, it's Brees Hall. He doesn't go down. He might go all the way. He stays on his feet again and scores. I wasn't going to hit a woman, but then that guy in the Ravens did it, so I guess it's okay. Okay.